This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hello, and welcome back to our second day of uh, Innovations in Parkinson's Disease, a week of insights with UC San Diego experts. I'm delighted to have you back with us again today, and I'm happy to introduce today's topic. Uh, yesterday, we had a fantastic time listening to where, uh, updates on wearable technologies uh, with Joe Wang and Irene Litvan. That was really quite exciting work. And today, we're turning our attention to our really innovative care that's taking place in the Parkinson's Center. I'm just going to be delighted to uh, join that conversation with you. Uh, just a little bit of the overview of the coming week uh, after today's uh, presentation. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about unlocking LARC2, a new drug target. I'm going to hope you'll join us for that uh, very interesting scientific discussion about what's going on in leading the nation's work in LARC2 as a genetic risk factor and a target for therapies in Parkinson's disease. That'll be tomorrow at noon. Uh, and then on uh, Thursday, we're going to talk about 4D biology and cell dynamics, paving the way for personalized medicine. And then on Friday, we wrap it up with creating new neurons, the potential to, reserve, to reverse Parkinson's disease. So really, this week, I think, is going to be really delightful. And today, we're going to be focusing on clinical care of what's going on right now. I wanted to give a little bit of an introduction to those who didn't meet me yesterday. I'm James Brewer. I'm the chair of the Department of Neurosciences, and I also direct the Shiley Marcos Alzheimer's Disease Research Center here at UC San Diego, where I am just absolutely proud as can be to be uh, the chair of a department that is the number one NIH-funded neurosciences department in the nation and uh, in the top five for all neurology departments in terms of NIH funding. On the clinical side, in fact, we made a major jump last year in our U.S. News and World Report rankings to uh, from 40th in the nation to 22nd in the nation based on quality scores and other uh, features of the department that we have here. So I think Hope you recognize, as I do, that this place is truly special, leading in clinical care, as well as uh, developing new therapies for neurological diseases. And I think I highlighted it yesterday, but it's worth repeating uh, this special environment that we benefit from being at UC San Diego, where uh, we are right on the same campus as a top-notch engineering school, a school of pharmacy, uh, a, a school of public health that just uh, got uh, uh, established and uh, also a main campus with really uh, always top in the nation uh, scientific productivity. Even though we're a, a university that's only been around 60 years or so, we really are co consistently right up there with the established names that have been here for you know, centuries, in fact. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, it's a place that has such a special environment because uh, we really have built up this, uh, this kind of feeling of no silos, no uh, barriers to collaboration and cross-fertilization. And I think that's part of our young 
uh, young feel here that uh, where we've only been around in the uh, latter half of, of uh, this decade or of this uh, century. And therefore, I think we've got the entrepreneurial California spirit of collaboration and uh, uh, building new, thinking of new creative ways of addressing things. And so one of the places where we as a department has done that work of, uh, uh, of, uh, of innovating, innovating is in clinical care. Uh, and one of the things that I've sought to do as a department chair is to try to make uh, a uh, very convenient one-stop shopping experience for our patients. In fact, uh, not only in the Parkinson Center, which we'll hear in depth, uh, but also we've uh, launched a, a Center for Brain Health and Memory Disorders here where we have uh, been able to establish in the same location as our Alzheimer's Disease Research Center, a multidisciplinary care model where patients would be able to come for uh, all the services that are needed as they either need the earliest stages of the illness uh, to be addressed through diagnostic processes at the earliest phases with biomarkers, or as things progress and there are greater needs, uh, support through um, support through social work and support through other services, uh, including caregiver support groups and, uh, and then events to try to tie individuals into the community uh, through connections with the partnerships that we have across the community of San Diego. So I think uh, we've been trying to do that not only in our neurodegenerative illness processes, but also in things like headache. So headache, in fact, has um, a number of needs that uh, vary across the spectrum of disease severity. And we're working to launch a very innovative headache program, again, where patients can come uh, regardless of the type of headache, whether it's due to traumatic brain injury or whether it's due to migraines that they've had for a long time that have been recalcitrant, uh, we are setting up a program where we can provide specialized care with uh, even the dimming of the lights and the avoidance of any sort of special, any smells that might trigger uh, headaches. These are the kind of things that we're trying to do in the neurosciences department. And as I've mentioned, we never take our eye off of the idea of innovating care and pushing things to new advanced therapeutics. And I think nowhere is that better uh, represented than in the Parkinson Center. So let's turn now to the Parkinson Center where we have, as we talked about yesterday and we'll talk about in the coming uh, days, truly a, a, a very exciting uh, research environment to push forward the care of this very difficult illness and the related illnesses that are associated with Parkinson's disease. Uh, that allows us to push to to give our patients direct access to the latest in clinical trials. So for example, yesterday we heard about wearable technologies. Uh, some of those are, of course, are not available in clinical practice. In fact, it's not taking place anywhere else in the nation uh, to the level that was described yesterday. And yet, uh, as we mentioned in the presentation, uh, our patients have access to enroll in these trials where they would get the very first uh, ability, first access to such uh, innovative approaches. Uh, the 
research that comes up on biomarkers, the research that comes up in therapeutics, uh, wouldn't be complete without innovating in care of patients who are currently suffering from the illness. And that's what we're going to hear about today. So we have three fantastic uh, speakers today. Uh, I'm going to introduce them and they're going to be talking about care beyond the clinic, the community support programs of our Parkinson's disease center, which as you are aware, and as we talked about yesterday, is a nationally recognized center uh, across many, many organizations who have recognized the uh, stellar work of Dr. Irene Litvan and collaborators. So today we're gonna have three great presenters uh, talk about the Parkinson's program and its tie to community services. So first off, we will have Lisa Damron, who is the program coordinator of the Parkinson's and Other Movement Disorders Center. She's a certified care manager with a master's degree in gerontology who helps provide the gold standard of care for patients at the Parkinson and Other Movement Disorder Center. She's passionate about supporting individuals as they age and has been instrumental in developing and launching the center's programs focused on supporting patients in their day-to-day -day lives. She's joined by her colleague, Adriana Gonzalez, who is a licensed clinical social worker, social worker uh, in the Parkinson's and Other Movement Disorder Center. She will be presenting about her role as a clinical social worker at the Parkinson's uh, Center and she's uh, been in the team since 2013. She's been working alongside the physicians to support the patients in meeting their treatment goals. She's importantly bilingual, uh, speaking both English and Spanish as, and, and really has spearheaded our Spanish language initiatives. She was instrumental in starting Juntos Unidos, a Latino outreach program for Parkinson's disease. And then finally, we will have our great colleague, David Higgins, Dr. David Higgins, who's a patient advocate at the center. He's a scientist by training who's earned his PhD in molecular biology and genetics at the University of Rochester, followed by a postdoctoral fellowship at the National Cancer Institute. And he had a long career in biotech at companies, including Invitrogen, Chiron, and several other companies. More recently, we've been fortunate to benefit from his expertise patient advocacy, and volunteerism in our community. He's passionate about advocating for people with Parkinson's and for their caregivers and care partners. He uses his personal experiences to guide his advocacy work, focusing on improving quality of life issues through education, support, training, networking, and increased research funding. So David serves as a Parkinson's patient advocate on the board of California, on the board of the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, and is the founder of the UCSD Parkinson's Disease Support Group Network. So I think this is a fantastic uh, group of individuals to talk about the innovative care that's taking place at the Parkinson's Center. So with that, I invite you to watch alongside me on this innovative care programs that have been established at the center. Hi everyone, happy to be here today. Today we'll be talking about Care Beyond the Clinic and I'll touch on our community support group programs for the UCSD Parkinson and Other Movement Disorder Center. My name is Lisa Dameron and I'm the clinical program coordinator. Um, my background is in gerontology and I'm also a certified care manager. So our community support programs are really divided into three different arenas. First, I'll be talking to you about our education and enrichment offerings. Next, Adriana Gonzalez will help us discuss social work services. And lastly, David Higgins will talk about our support group network. 
So our community outreach program started with an annual community symposium. So this event was held each spring. It's a three quarter day event and covered all different topics related to Parkinsonism. This year, we've changed it up a little bit. So we're going to do a monthly virtual event series. So each month will be on a Saturday and it will cover different topics. So registration is required and we'll have that info on our website, which I'll show you later. We'd also like to start doing events specifically tailored for the other atypical Parkinsonism diagnoses. So Lewy body dementia, progressive supranuclear palsy, and so on. So the first event in this series will start later this year and focus on Lewy body dementia. And then lastly, we really like to partner with other organizations. So we've partnered with the Parkinson Movement Disorder Alliance to do an event about research. We've also done a Spanish language event with the Parkinson's Foundation. So we're also always open to partnering and reaching a different uh, population with information. All right, our next program is the virtual exercise classes. So this started last summer was our first class. And it stemmed out of a need for additional offerings for exercise for our Parkinson's community. And frequently when I'm in clinic, going over an after visit summary with the patient, going over what their referrals are, their new prescriptions, almost always there's a bullet point that says continue or start exercise. So this is integral into maintaining your Parkinson's disease and really your overall health. So we thought, why not create our own program? So I got together with our physical therapist and we decided to do a class based on Parkinson wellness recovery, also known as power moves. So our physical therapists were certified in this program and we hosted our first class last July via Zoom. And we had over 100 people register and about 75 people attend. And it was really magical to see 75 people, little boxes, all moving in unison. And it's really taken off from there. So now we host the class twice a month on the first and third Tuesday. And every single class without fail, I'll get messages after. I don't feel alone when I take this class. This is an integral part of my day and my routine. I'm going to ask my my doctor for a physical therapy referral. They're all positive remarks. And this program is 100% supported by philanthropy and would not be in existence without our community support. Our next offering is called Learning the Ropes. Right now, this program lives as a virtual on-demand presentation, and it's geared for new or new-ish patients for our center. And I've inc included this picture here um, because I have experienced this myself and also heard from patients that coming to a new health system or new doctor's office is pretty equivalent to navigating an American Ninja Warrior course or some kind of obstacle course. So we like to avoid that. So this presentation is to hopefully ease some frustrations, give an overview of our center, um, provide patients with what to expect before, during, and after your first and subsequent visits and also provide tips and tricks to making the most of your care. So kind of the insider scoop to getting care at our center. The next program is upcoming. It's called Calling All Artists. This is a hybrid of a support group and also kind of a creative arts class. So we're hoping to discuss art and creativity as a means of coping. And all artists and any creative types are welcome. Um, the purpose of this is to keep our creative spark alive. And so, 
most classes out there are for your traditional art. So painting, maybe sculpture, those kinds of things. But this group is really for anyone that has a creative spark. So card makers, quilters, scrapbookers, DIYers, woodworkers. So the whole gamut is, is welcome here. And we want to keep that creative spark alive along our life's journey. So sometimes with Parkinson's, we have to stop doing things or adjust. So this is a group to have peer support to cope with those changes and to, to continue to create throughout our life. So we have a lot of community programs and a lot of good stuff about our center and it's all housed on our website. And I just wanted to showcase that website. So anything I talked about earlier, all the information and links to register or links to recordings are available on our website. So, of course, the URL is quite lengthy. I've created a short one. It's tinyurl.com slash UCSDPARK, P-A-R-K. And you can click on the Community Outreach and Education tab and find all of our programs there. In addition to our website, we also have all of our presentations available in video form and all of our exercise class recordings, and that's on our YouTube. So that can be searched UCSD, Parkinson, and other movement disorder center. So our community outreach and enrichment programs are very important. I know I'm biased, but I've also talked to patients and their care partners, and it really makes a difference. Um, our center offers these support programs where nobody else does in the county. So other health systems are not set up to offer social work specifically for their Parkinson's patients or neuropatients. So our center's goal is complete care. So not only that great clinical care, but what about the rest of the person? So these programs are really there to support the whole person and also bring in that connection that's important, that gives us meaning and also joy. Sometimes we get so stuck in the routine and also just managing um, the day-to-day -day life that we forget the fun and joy. So we hope that these programs will reintroduce that or continue that on. So what's next for us? First, I really want to thank all of the community members that have supported us in our programming thus far. It's really allowed us to build a solid foundation and create offerings that are helping people with their disease and just living well. So as we have this succulent garden here, we're just going to continue to tend our garden and our programming. So maintain and fine tune our current offerings. We like to increase awareness and we hope that you can help us spread the word about our programs. We like to increase our offerings of the on-demand videos like on our YouTube channel. We'd also like to bring or introduce more support for our care, care partners into programming and then always continue to focus on quality of life and just how to live well. So we covered our education and enrichment offerings. Next up is Adriana to discuss our social work services. Hi everyone, thanks so much for having me today and for giving me this opportunity to talk about my role as a social worker at the Parkinson's Disease Center. My name is Adriana Gonzalez and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about the care that I'm able to be to provide beyond the clinic. I'll start with talking about the clinical care that I provide to our patients and families in the clinic. I'll talk a little bit about the, my participation with the community and also about education and program development that I'm involved with. 
My role within an interdisciplinary team is to provide the clinical services to our patients and caregivers who are receiving their medical care at the Movement Disorders Center. The care that I provide is referral-based, so patients can directly refer for social work consult or the provider can refer to me. The social work support that I provide, it can be provided in clinic, in between clinic visits and or via telemedicine, and that's really based on need. The types of services that I provide, uh, the, a comprehensive assessment of need, brief and supportive counseling, patient education, tips and strategies for coping, referrals to community resources, communication with our healthcare team, which is really key, and crisis intervention. The types of needs that I assess, I assess uh, the adjustment to illness, quality of life issues, family, social support, caregiver needs, future care needs, which has really come up right now throughout the pandemic, um, mental health support, and end-of-life care navigation. What's been really important to me in my role as a social worker is to also be involved with the community. I think that involvement allows for our clinic to support and positively impact the broader Parkinson's disease community by providing education, support, and resources to a local, national, and even in some cases, an international audience. The impact of our community involvement stretches far beyond our clinic. I'm able to increase knowledge about PD within other community agencies, which then uh, can really ripple out to other communities, such as the hard to reach communities, our uh, individuals who are in rural parts of our county and other underserved individuals. Some of the local initiatives that I've had the privilege to participate in is our, our local UCSD PD support group. So David Higgins will talk a little bit more about that, but I am able to provide them with support, with information, with access to resources. Even if somebody is a member of the group but does not receive their care at UCSD, I'm always happy to help and support them with connecting them to resources that, that we have here in San Diego. Puntos Unidos is an outreach program that I developed to support the San Diego Spanish-speaking community through outreach, education, and support. It really started with a desire to help the Spanish-speaking patients in the UCSD clinic, but, through, but changed and was able to really outreach to the entire San Diego Spanish-speaking community. And with the pandemic, we were able to move virtually um, I was able to connect with other uh, support group facilitators, and we created a statewide initiative that was holding monthly groups for the entire state of California. We're now in kind of the rethinking process now that the pandemic has shifted a little bit and thinking about what are the needs of this population? How do we move forward? Active involvement with other local community organizations has really been key too. I work with the San Diego Caregiver Coalition that puts on uh, annual conferences and also with the South Bay Senior Providers. I'm able to really provide education, PD 101, to service providers here in San Diego. Again, to increase their awareness about PD with my hope of it reaching somebody who maybe needs more support or needs a movement disorder specialist and didn't know that we have such a dynamic team here in San Diego. Some of the national initiatives that I'm involved with that have been really important um, for me and for the clinic, one of them is the Hispanic Parkinson's Advisory Council through the Parkinson's Foundation, which is comprised of healthcare professionals, researchers, members of the community, people with PD, and we're working together to develop strategies to increase clinical research education, awareness, and participation among Hispanic people with Parkinson's throughout the United States. I've also had the privilege of doing uh, 
PD Health at Home series on caregiving from afar that's available on YouTube, so Lunch and Learns. And I'm, uh, I was invited to be a speaker to the Care Partner Summit that's happening this spring. And I have a planned webinar on caregiver fatigue in Spanish. The World Parkinson's Congress, uh, I'm also working with them. I'm a member of their Care Partner Lounge Planning Group for Barcelona 2022 or 2023, depending on how things go. And I'm also a scheduled speaker for their June 2021 bilingual series on non-motor symptoms. So really exciting initiatives that I get to be a part of with the ultimate goal of highlighting uh, the work that not only that we're doing at the clinic, but to reach those populations that maybe don't have access to a center like ours. And with that, it really lends itself to another passion of mine, which is the education piece and training future social workers in medical social work and increasing their awareness about Parkinson's disease. And so this next school year will be the third year that we have a social work intern with us who will, when they leave, they go to their next employment to a community center. One of my interns is now working at family health centers uh, with a very urban population. And so they leave with this knowledge of Parkinson's disease and neurological disorders, and they're able to really understand what resources exist. Again, and my hope is always that that information stays with them and that we're creating this network of people that have an awareness about this disease and that that awareness and information leads to connecting people to the resources that, it's going, that are going to improve their quality of life. And last, I really am, I really believe in supporting community organizations, acknowledging that as a center, we're not accessible to everybody and really needing to uh, acknowledge that. And so I've been able to support small organizations, one in Orange County and one in, in here in San Diego, who have a passion for supporting people with Parkinson's disease, who have family members who are living with Parkinson's disease. And by supporting them and encouraging them to apply for small community grants and develop their own programming and bridging with us to maybe kind of close that gap a little bit that exists between a large academic center and some of the communities that that are not accessing us. And so that's something that's really has been important to me and that I've had the opportunity to do. And here's a couple of, of pictures of the really fun and exciting people I get to be around that, that encourage me and support me. Uh, the first picture is the Chula Vista support group, the originals that really spearheaded that Chula Vista local regional group. And we had an opportunity to talk about the work that they were doing to a local newspaper. And the second picture is um, early 2020, pre-pandemic, I was able to travel to Phoenix as part of the Hispanic Leadership Conference put on by the Barrow Institute, where I was able to network with a lot of local organizations and talk about what we could do, how we, how we could all work together to improve services and quality of life for the Spanish language community. So thank you so much for allowing me to talk a little bit about my role and what I do within our amazing and dynamic team. And I pass it along to Mr. David Higgins to talk about our beautiful support groups. Thank you. Good morning. My, my name is David Higgins, and you've just heard from two of the stars of our uh, clinical program at UCSD for, for the Movement Disorder uh, Center. And um, with that, comes a different angle that I'm going to present to you uh, as an outsider, uh, really, as a patient, um, not as an employee, and, and hopefully convey in addition to 
what you've uh, heard, um, a sense of um, of pride and and accessibility to to, to to resources that are very important. You you you, you know that UCSD has as an award-winning um, reputation as a research center for Parkinson's and other movement disorders in the entire world. And this just underlines that and how patients' involvement in that uh, process can be beneficial both to the community as well as the individual. So just a little bit about me. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's in December of 2011, which, believe it or not, it's been almost 10 years. Uh, a pretty, um, pretty amazing uh, to me to, to, to wake up and think about that. But the the key for the next couple of slides I'm going to try to, to impose on you is that um, my entry into into the uh, Parkinson's support community really had to do with kind of a, a, the the uh, uh, the trip the, the the perfect storm as, as it's called in, in nautical terms the par- perfect storm being the uh, the the convergence of three or more uh, catastrophes that happen uh, all at once to, to create a, 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 an end product that's, that's bigger than, than uh, the, the individual ones. And to, to try to illustrate that, um, I just wanted to, to tell you about um, my, I was diagnosed, as I said, I was diagnosed in 2011. Uh, interestingly, I, I'm at least the fourth generation family Parkinson's. I have a, a mother, a grandmother, maternal grandmother, uncle, uh, great uncle, and probably further back even than that uh, of, of Parkinson's. So we have quite a bit of collective experience in that regard. Uh, I've worked, interestingly enough, before I knew anything about the Parkinson's, I was going to be uh, involved for, for my own care. Uh, I worked as a scientist in biotech and, and worked actually for a company that worked on Parkinson's disease. So that's yet another angle uh, for that. Uh, and then the volunteer work that I've, I've been involved with uh, includes um, the Stem Cell Agency of the State of California, the Michael J. Fox, uh, the, the um, Parkinson's Action Network, the local Parkinson's Association, and uh, P- PMD Alliance uh, based in Arizona. Then more recently uh, involved in the, the establishment and, and, and leading the, uh, coordinating the, 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 the uh, support group. So let's talk about the support group, which is really what we're here for. How did we start? It's an interesting story, but it's a, it was a spinoff of a, of, a, um, of a seminar that I attended in 2012, and there were about six of us who got together and decided we wanted to meet on a regular basis. We had no experience. We had no uh, specific knowledge of how to do this. Uh, and, but we started with six people, and within a couple of months, we had 20 people, and it was all by word of mouth. There was no uh, uh, coordinated um, uh, uh, outreach for anyone. We were on our own. We were completely independent. We had no budget. We had no 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 uh, guidance, um, and we just sort of trotted along. And, and interestingly, we found out that what we were trying to achieve was really what people wanted. And if you listen to them, uh, that's how you got your how we got our guidance. So by twenty, we started in twenty twelve with six people, and a couple of years later, we had almost four hundred people. Um, or today, it's over four hundred people. In 2017, um, I went to Dr. Irene Litvan at, at, at uh, UCSD and said, do you have any interest in um, uh, having a, a support group as part of your, your, your program, uh, knowing that she was, she was working hard to, to build her program? And, and she did. And so we joined forces with UCSD in 2017, and we sort of haven't stopped since then. It's been a phenomenal experience to have 
access to people like you just heard speak, as well as uh, Dr. Litvan and, and others uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the group. So that's sort of the um, bureaucratic side, if you will. Uh, so so you can, to give you a sense of what we are, we're, we're called the uh, UCSD Parkinson's Support Group Network of San Diego County. And there are other support group uh, networks as well. Uh, our, ours, I think, is, is unique in many ways. And, and, and the, most, um, the, the way that is most unique or most uh, um, substantial is our relationship with UCSD, which, is, which, which gives us an element of, of, of uh, professionalism that we wouldn't otherwise have. So what kinds of meetings do we have? Uh, it, first of all, it doesn't, I think uh, uh, Lisa mentioned, it doesn't cost to participate. Doesn't matter where you get your health care. It doesn't matter what kind of insurance you have. Um, but we have we hold monthly, we, uh, weekly, monthly, and um, uh, quarterly meetings, depending on what the needs are. And the meetings cover uh, people with Parkinson's as well as their care partners, or people just with Parkinson's uh, separated from their care partners, or care partners separated from the Parkinson's people. And that might sound kind of odd or maybe insensitive at first, but we're not trying to exclude people. We're trying to give people an audience and a, a, a stage, if you will, where the only people in the room are people who intimately understand what their issues are. Uh, as, as I'll mention in a moment, uh, those are some of the most important things that support groups can, can provide are um, uh, environments which people who are care partners or people with Parkinson's feel comfortable uh, talking about um, hard things. So we have uh, support groups for, for specifically for care partners as well as for people with young onset Parkinson's, something we call flying solo, which are folks who don't necessarily have a designated care partner or person in their life that will take care of them uh, for the remainder of their lives or for the next 20, 30, or 40 years. Uh, and we have, um, as I think uh, Adriana mentioned, we have uh, Spanish-speaking groups as well. The groups focus on things like quality of life issues, museum trips, nature hikes, uh, all kinds of extracurricular activities. They build friendships uh, that, that go far beyond the, the, the support group. Um, and, and the pandemic, as it uh, impacted many people, many groups, if not everyone, um, has caused us to, to restructure the way we run meetings for now. Uh, we probably will go back to what we call in-person meetings where, where we're actually all present in the, in the room at the same time. But what we've learned from our experience with, with things like Zoom is that it does uh, fit a need that we didn't previously recognize. And that is simply that for many people, it's difficult to drive to or, or have transportation to meetings, uh, whether that's transportation or, 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 or physical uh, ability. Um, <clears throat> there are many advantages we have learned for people uh, to, have, to have Zoom meetings, to have meetings at home. Uh, so I think going forward, we're going to, in the tradition of uh, the way we manage our support groups, and that is to uh, give them what they ask for and what they, what they, what they need, <clears throat> is we're going to have uh, groups probably that will continue as, as Zoom groups as, as well as um, the uh, in-person groups. <clears throat> A very important point to make, and we don't have to go into it in much detail here, uh, is that support groups are for care partners too. So anyone that understands the uh, relationship between someone with, who, who has a, a lifelong uh, disease and everything that comes with that, uh, and a care partner who is the person who's going to be responsible for taking care of that person when, when care is indeed needed, <clears throat> it's a very special relationship. 
And care partners have very unique and special issues. Uh, probably the most important one I would I would say is that the care partners need to know how to take care of themselves. If they can't take care of themselves or they don't take care of themselves, that they burn out. Uh, they provide um, uh, <clears throat> poor, poorer care for the person with the disease, but they also um, uh, essentially uh, uh, wear themselves out, I guess, I guess I would say. Um, <clears throat> so what does a support group provide a person that would make it a value to them? Um, <clears throat> this is, also put this in the, back in the context of this is sort of, sort of post-clinical um, interactions in the sense that you have a physician and you have a relationship with a, a, a clinic or a, a university or, or whomever, whether it's UCSD or Scripps or Sharp or Kaiser, but they're not there for you in the same way that um, your peers can be, your, your care partners and your peers. Uh, peer interaction is critical. It allows us to be to experience empathy from other people who clearly understand and, ex and have experienced um, the same kinds of, of, of uh, situations. And what's important to, to note is that support group meetings can be, can, can contain information where that's critical of, of someone or something, whether it's a drug or a, an organization or a physician. Uh, so, so you get the good and the bad at support group meetings. It's really important that that's uh, understood and, and, and handled in an environment or in a manner that um, is respectful, but can be uh, controversial or can be critical or it can be uh, uh, wonderfully uh, uh, thankful. Uh, so, so it's peer advice. Uh, now, peer advice is we, we, we don't practice medicine. We can't practice medicine. We're not physicians. Uh, we encourage people to take anything they learn and they have a question about back to their physician and, and understand it. Um, we provide education in the sense that we have uh, two PhD scientists who lead the support groups who understand the biology and the medicine of Parkinson's disease and other movement disorders and can explain those in terms that make sense and are a valuable, of, of value to uh, the, the patients. Um, and, and that goes sort of hand in hand with training. And that means that we, we train people, uh, literally train people to how to go and talk to their physician about their disease. Uh, that means vocabulary, teaching them uh, what words mean, what words don't mean, as well as building their confidence uh, on, on being able to talk with uh, the physicians and not be intimidated or not be afraid to ask for uh, an explanation from the physician. So we act as a backbone, if you will, for uh, patients um, who need to go to their physician or, or healthcare provider and, and pursue some issue that that uh, they don't feel is, is being uh, uh, properly addressed. So this will, I guarantee you, this will lead to a more productive relationship with your physician. Um, and I don't know, I, I've, I know a lot of physicians who work in the, 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 the movement disorder field and every single one of them appreciates having a more educated patient come to their, their, their appointment. That doesn't mean overeducated or overexposed to Google, but it means properly educated to uh, what, what the issues are. Uh, we even go as far as we, we will go to appointments with people if necessary, uh, if that's what they, they need and want. Um, but, but it's really important to, to, to underscore that we do not replace the care that's provided by your doctor. Um, anything we say or anything you hear in our group, um, you should question and take back to your doctor for uh, 
sort of um, verification. So unlike the the, the um, perfect storm where things converge to uh, the end result of being a disaster, um, which is how we sort of think of Parkinson's when we first are diagnosed. It, it's, it's everything that the world is coming down around me and my life is over and um, nothing good can come of this. N- nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, I would, would, would switch this and, and, and refer to it as a triple crown uh, that, that involves sharing, learning, and caring. Uh, peer-to-peer sharing experiences are irreplaceable. There's no one who has a better understanding of what you're going through than someone in a support group who is going through the same thing. Uh, how do you with living with PD, managing PD, interaction with your doc, as we, we, uh, we uh, uh, talked about, uh, education, learning more about the biology and the medicine of, of Parkinson's. Uh, very, very important to be an informed patient. Know what the latest meds are. Know if you meet someone in a support group that they're taking something, whether they liked it or they didn't like it. Uh, who the good interactions have been with physicians. All, all, of, all of the dirt, if you will, uh, is, is uncovered. And I, I don't mean that literally because uh, by far the professional movement disorder community is, is astoundingly um, supportive and um, uh, dependent <coughs> and, and allows us to depend on, on their their expertise. And finally, uh, emotional support. You surround yourself in a, in a support group, you surround yourself with people who get it. And, and our tagline, as simple as it is, uh, is important. And that is, um, you, you just, you're not alone and you will uh, experience that feeling of uh, being embraced and being cared for very quickly at one of our meetings. And so with that, I just <laughs> leave you with the thought of, uh, if you have questions, you can call us. Um, if you want more information, you can email us or call us. And I welcome everyone should at least um, try a support group and find out if, if that's the, um, the, the, uh, the right thing for you. And with that, I'll, I will stop. Wow, that was fantastic. Lisa, Adriana, and David, really appreciate that uh, outstanding presentation of the additional services that you provide to really bolster the clinical care that uh, is taking place among the physicians and really wouldn't be complete without the uh, tremendous service that you guys are providing. I think we as physicians have recognized that we can only go so far in supporting our patients. We provide our training, we prefer provide everything we can, but in some cases, individuals need to connect with one another and feel that support that you guys are providing. And I thought that was very, very well presented. And uh, thank you so much. So uh, I'm going to open up the Q&A. Sounds like we've got a lot of engaged uh, participants. I really appreciate that. And one of the first questions that comes up, and this is something that I'm quite familiar with in the uh, in directing the Shiley Marcos Alzheimer's Disease Research Center, how challenging the navigating the issues of cognitive changes are. Um, so there's a question here regarding navigating the ongoing cognitive changes. It's described as overwhelming and challenging. So what questions you might ask or information that caregivers can provide that would help in dealing with those changes? And then a second follow-up question was about um, <clears throat> what other increases in resources or personnel in the program would more fully address and support care partners who have to deal with cognitive impairment as it progresses from mild to significant. 
Um, so I know that's a lot to handle. And I guess uh, which of you would like to try to at least kick off and maybe others can also join in? I think, hi, everyone. I can kick off that. Um, I think navigating the cognitive challenges is is tough. And I think it's going to take a village and it's going to not be a one and done. It's going to be a continued conversation. So the first thing I would suggest is bringing this up either in a physician visit or kind of following up with the physician on the side to see what other resources the clinic offers. I know ours, um, I'm a resource, our social work, Adriana, and our intern are available to have these conversations to figure out where you are specifically in that journey and what we can offer in the way of support. And that could be just more one-on-one support ongoing and offering resources and guidance on a specific scenario. It might be a recommendation for the support group because there's nothing like that peer resource of other people going through the same thing as you Um, or more education. There's certainly room for growth in our program as far as offering um, educational workshops about cognitive change as it relates to Parkinsonism. And that's something that we're looking at doing more of in the future. Excellent. Others want to jump in on that topic of cognitive changes and and how we deal with it? I I would just add um, to what Lisa's already said that um, the support group, especially for care partners, uh, is a resource that's just, it's deep and it's broad and it's it's there and people are very eager to share and support one another. Um, There's, there's a, this this is a bit subtle, but there's an advantage in having a long-term relationship with a care partner as, as a fellow care partner, because you can see what they have gone through or going through uh, progress. And that's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, is really understanding how the person with Parkinson's that you're caring for, how that changes over time and how, how the care partner deals with that. So that, that's a subtle uh, point, but it's a very important one is how change over time affects the care partner's uh, ability to, to to care for. So, so I think that that's best addressed or, or well addressed by a fellow care partner, if, if that makes sense. Right. Yes. Adriana, anything to add to that? No, as a social worker, my role is really to be supportive to either the patient or the care partner to really hear what is coming up and to, in that moment, try to find solutions, whether it's the support group or as Lisa mentioned, more education, more information, relationship with their provider. So my role is really tell me what's going on. Let's problem solve together and let's figure out how to how to move through this in a way that's going to be healthy for both people. Great. No, I really appreciate that. I think on the, from the side of the Alzheimer's uh, program and uh, other cognitive impairment that's going on at the Center for Brain Health and Memory Disorder, we see the key input of the social worker to to really keep an eye on what are the other impacts that are beyond medication effects and and such you know the the financial decisions the um uh, other kinds of decisions that you want to get ahead of uh, to really avoid uh exacerbating the problem and i think that's one of the things that when people talk about oh there's there's not a cure there's not a treatment for cognitive impairment. Well, in fact, I consider that treatment. I think that, you know, if an individual is being counseled about how to avoid exacerbating uh, the problem of, uh, of cognitive impairment, 
that is a treatment, even if it's not a drug that we give that stops the impairment. So thank you so much for that. A couple of very specific questions that came in. One is how can you, or can you volunteer to lead a class or support group? Uh, is that possible? And if so, what would be the process? Yes, call me. <laughs> That's pretty simple. Great. So uh, I think what we would do then is uh, uh, there was a number that was provided in the uh, presentation, and then we would get you in, in touch with uh, David Higgins to, to talk about leading the group. And then um, uh, a question for Adriana, I believe, when and where do the Spanish language groups meet? Are they open for all, to all as well? So the ones that, that we were helping facilitate, we put a pause on it because of low participation with the online platform. And we're trying to rethink as things open up, how do we change the format? So right now, those are put on pause. But if somebody wants the ones that we run, but if somebody wants to join a support group, there are a couple other ones that are national that are still online. And if somebody wanted to join that, they could reach out to me and I could provide them with that information. Great. Okay, great. And how about childcare? I know that this has been a challenge on our side, uh, especially also maybe not even just childcare, but being respite care for caregiver support groups and things like that, where one might, you know, actually prefer the online approach, right? Because you may not need as much uh, need in childcare, but how would you, how would you, I know it doesn't say, you know, I don't think that you guys have the support to provide childcare, but the question is, do you have childcare for people participating in classes uh, and your classes and support group meetings? I think that's probably, I, I doubt you guys pay for childcare. Right. We yeah. don't. We don't yeah. have childcare at this yeah. time. So I think that it may be one of the things we're deciding within the Alzheimer's side is uh, uh, whether we just continue the online support groups. It sounds like, you know, not only our center, but the Alzheimer's Association has noted they've gotten increased participation in the support groups through the Zoom approaches, which everybody was kind of concerned about. Are people going to be able to navigate these uh, tele? video conferencing approaches. And in fact, yes, they were able to. In fact, a lot of people preferred it. Have you guys discussed whether you might continue an option in, uh, in a virtual format? We are definitely going to, to um, have what, what we're calling now hybrid programs where um, the, there will be room for in-person gathering of people as well as that, that interaction will be broadcast to a Zoom site. And so people can go either way. Uh, whether we continue with just uh, in person or just Zoom, we're still evaluating, but definitely we're going to have hybrids so that we can uh, meet the needs of, of everyone if we can. Uh, interestingly, when we poll people in, in current support groups, 80%, and this poll has been done several times, 80% of the people want to go back to in-person uh, formats. And when you dig a little deeper and ask about that, it has to do with the human connection. I think people have done a remarkable job of adapting to Zoom in that respect. But it's <clears throat> but, but giving somebody a hug when you walk in, in the door is still um, an experience that you can't you can't get on Zoom. So so I think both are are, are important. There's room for both. Great. Any other thoughts on that? Uh, otherwise I'm gonna jump to a, a very nice comment that was made. I want to make a comment on the value of support group. I joined the Chula Vista Otay Ranch group. January in 2019, when my mother was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, after several years with Alzheimer's, 
knowing practically zero about PD, I learned in every meeting something new and very helpful that I was able to use with my mother. David and the rest of the participants were all very candid about symptoms, effects, and etc. Greatly recommend joining a support group. So thank you, Anna, Gabriela, Manriquez for that uh, very nice uh, comment there. Another advantage of, of attending a support group meetings is to find out what research is being done and how you can participate as, as a, in a clinical trial or a clinical uh, development of a product. It not only fulfills a, a desperate need that, that um, the university and other places have for developing new drugs, but also gets you in a situation where you get the, you get the hot off the press, uh, most recent uh, information about what's going on. So, so I, just to make a plug for please get involved in clinical trials. Outstanding. Yeah, I agree. And it also helps really push forward the, the science. I mean, it's, it's something we struggle with sometimes. I mean, I call these individuals the heroes of uh, care more than the physicians. In fact, the patients that are willing to give their time and effort and sometimes comfort if there are other markers. And, you know, on our side, sometimes we do a lumbar puncture and things and these heroes will come in and say, I'm willing to do it to try, try to help advance uh, therapy. And I think it's just, I wrote a Union Tribune article about uh, these really important individuals to participate in clinical trials, because it really is what allows us to push forward the field. A question about uh, where can we find in-home care services to help the main caregiver uh, to have some time off from their full-time caregiving role, the respite care. Adriana, I don't know how you manage that, uh, but that's a question that's in the chat. And it's a question I get, I think, almost daily from caregivers and family members who are supporting their loved one. And so there's one of my main go-tos is someone doesn't have long-term care insurance or paying for in-home, non-medical in-home care is not possible. One of my biggest referrals, one of my biggest uh, community resources that I provide is the Southern Caregiver Resource Center who have really dynamic programs available to people that are able to link them up to any respite programs that they run internally or that are some that are um, partially funded by the county. And so they always have their finger on the pulse of what uh, funding is available. So that is my go-to resource to find respite care and to work with a caregiver agency that can help and support them with that. Outstanding. Outstanding. Thank you. Yes. And we use them as well. And I think they're just fantastic. We've had some great partnership. And, and again, our center had been in place since 1984. And so we really have established these deep connections to the community that I think is just so valuable because there are, you know, as we tie in with these other groups and we partner both directions, they need care. We provide this and, and, you know, we're just trying to build those, that, that, that broader network within San Diego and, and across the nation, in fact, but in, for our particular patients within San Diego, uh, and it's just been hugely valuable. Southern caregivers is actually one of the great partners we have. And, and don't forget that um, attending a, a care partner support group for an hour or two hours uh, a week or a month, is in itself a respite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, repeat the name of that group, uh, Adriana, again, Southern Caregiver Resource Center. Southern that- Caregiver Resource Center. And their website's super easy, just the acronym, scrc.org. Yeah, great. 
Okay, and then a general question, I think it was, it was just mentioned, something was mentioned about Lewy body. I think, I guess, I'll, I'll answer as much as I can on that, because Lewy body really is the main pathological hallmark of Parkinson's disease and dementia with Lewy bodies. Uh, and this is, again, one of the places where UC San Diego has a very special program called, that is a Lewy body dementia center of excellence, which uh, really is a partnership across the Shiley Marcos Alzheimer's Disease Research Center and the Center for Parkinson's uh, Disease and Related Movement Disorders, uh, where Irene Litvan, who directs this uh, center uh, for the Parkinson's Disease Center, is also on the uh, clinical core of the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. So uh, in speaking about dementia with Lewy bodies, one of the wonderful things about being in an academic center like UCSD is that we really do have access. It kind of crosses the line of both diagnoses. And uh, it's a place where we will have the support services available, regardless of which line, which side of the line you fall in, more on the Parkinson's disease side or on the dementia side. And I think that's where the close partnership between our center and Irene's center has been. Um, and then uh, there's a question about what about those who can, af can afford to pay for in-home care services? Um, I, th I guess uh, that's a question that was, it's um, maybe Adriana, if a person were able to pay for in-home care services, is, is there another uh, resource that you turn to sometimes? There are so many in-home care agencies in San Diego. It's like referring somebody to one therapist. And so when I work with my families or with patients, I really try to get to know what their needs are and what is it just going to be respite? Is it um, full-time, part-time that you're looking for? And then I'm able to give kind of a short list referral to caregiver agencies. Um, but there are so many that I would say kind of start with what David mentioned, talking to peers, talking to support group colleagues to find out, you know, who do you use and who have you heard of? I apologize for the background, background, ground noise. And Lisa also in our clinic helps with um, locating, but there's just so many that if you do a Google search, a lot will come up. So I try to help people kind of narrow it down to what they're looking for and what types of services they need. All right. Well, thank all of you for everything you do, your commitment to this uh, illness and the commitment to our patients. We appreciate it. And thank, to, thank you to all the attendees who spent that hour with us again and are spending the week with us. I'm really enjoying this time with you all. And I really appreciate uh, the chance to tell you about these amazing programs that we have in Parkinson's disease. So please join us tomorrow for uh, our program, which will be Unlar Unlocking LARC-2, a new drug target. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.